Welcome to Rider Types. I'm Eric Beatner, and with me is S.W. Loudon. Where are we, Steve? Uh, we're sitting on a Southwest flight headed for Tampa to go to BoucherCon, and I just want to point out that we have a buffer seat between the two of us here, and I paid extra. I paid for a second seat just so Eric and I didn't have to touch for four and a half hours. That's in my contract. It's in my contract as well, but then again, we have the same lawyer, so it shouldn't be surprising. I'm amazed that we are this uh, clever this early in the morning because we woke up at, uh, what, about 3.15? Yes, but I've also had 16 cups of coffee. That's a good point. <laughs> We're excited to have a fun-filled weekend uh, at the BoucherCon convention. It's always a good time. We're going to talk to a ton of authors and maybe win an Anthony Award? We're definitely going to talk to a bunch of authors. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. All right. Well, I'll see you in Florida, I guess. Yeah. But don't talk to me between now and then. <laughs> This is Lee Child, and you're listening to Writer Types. Oh, brother, it's Lou Bernie and Brad Parks. Here we are again, guys, at BoucherCon. It's, uh, how you guys doing? You know what? The, my least favorite thing about BoucherCon is seeing assholes with phones asking questions. Like, there's, there's nothing worse. And, but, but and that, anybody who pretends that there's camaraderie among authors at these things, no, I pretty much want to gouge your eyeballs out. It, is it worse at a conference to get approached by a writer who asks you to blurb their book or to ask you to be on their podcast? So actually, no, the worst thing that's ever happened was I got approached by an author who wanted to take a photo of me with his book, reading oh. his book. And I was not given much choice in this. Like, the book was just kind of thrown in my hands and like, I'm going to take a picture of you now. I don't want to do that. Who wants to do that? I'd be happy to do that. I'm a very gracious writer, <laughs> unlike Brad Parks. And I, Lou Bernie, would be happy to take a picture with your book. <laughs> oh, hold on. Eric. Eric. Mr. Bernie, can you please hold my book? <laughs> just don't say that in the men's room. And we'll be all right. Hi, my name is Matt Goldman. I live in uh, Minneapolis. I have two books out in the series, Gone to Dust and Broken Ice. Now, Matt, you were here last year, and we talked uh, on the occasion of your debut novel. Now you're a Wiley veteran. How is it different this year? I know a few more people, and uh, my expectations are much lower. <laughs> <laughs> and has it met your expectations so far? Actually, it's been great. It's, it's been more than my expectations. I had no idea being a novelist would, would include me in a community like this. It's been wonderful. Now, you, you had a great run with the first book. You're winning awards, and it was great. Is it, do you feel like you're sort of settling in now to this series, and it's going to be a long-term thing? Absolutely. I mean, the third book is done. It comes out next June. I'm just about to start writing the fourth, and uh, I hope it goes well beyond that. Yeah. Are they getting any easier as they go? No. They're getting more <laughs> difficult. I'm trying not to write the same book over and over again. But I'm trying to push my characters and push my stories into new places. Yeah. Excellent. Well, good luck. Yeah, thank you. All right. All right, Steph Post, it's so great to see you in your home state of Florida, and it's been a long time since you were on the very first episode of Writer Types. Has your life just improved immeasurably? My life has changed immeasurably. Um, since the last time you talked to me, I moved out into the middle of nowhere. I have another book coming out. Um, it was very cool to be on your very first. I'm always gonna like own that that I was on your first podcast. When yes. you guys get like extremely famous and, and go on NPR and everything, I'm gonna be like, I was there. <laughs> so 
right, so speaking of change, your next novel that comes out in January, Miraculum. Am I even saying that right? Yep, that's right, Miraculum. Okay, Okay, good. Uh, This is a bit of a departure, uh, but something that's close to your heart, right? Oh, very much so. This is, uh, I've been known for rural Florida crime. This is set in the 1920s in a traveling carnival through the south, so it's still southern. Um, But there are some mystical elements. There's a lot of mythology in it. Uh, It's sort of been described as like water for elephants meets American gods. So very different from what people are expecting. But this is, it really is my heart. Like this is like my, this is like my baby. I've never really felt that way about a book before. But this is, I can't wait to share this with everybody. (laughs) Tell me if I'm wrong. And it might just be the way you project, but you seem sometimes fairly tortured when you're in the middle of writing a book. It's this this thing, and I don't know if most writers think about this, but I think about writing like it's this battle, uh-huh. like like it's a war that you're you're fighting. Um, first drafts for me are just this grueling. Um, a book that I'm working on that will be my next book has to do with explorers in the 1890s. So I've done a lot of research for that, and when I'm writing, I feel like I'm an explorer. Like trudge, but like, but like trudging through the swamp, getting like <laughs> leeches attached to me, and I'm wondering why the hell am I doing this? But I feel driven to find the mountain that nobody cares about. Um, so yeah, it is always this like arduous process, and then I turn around and I do it again, and I do it again, <laughs> and I do it again. I'm kind of a masochist. Well, we're grateful that you do. Well, and and the the third canon book, the Lightwood trilogy, I'm one month away from being done. So that's, nice. that's in the works. It's third draft right now. And you seem pretty confident in that. A lot of writers miss deadlines. I never miss a deadline. Ooh. Like, I'm actually that person that will, will not sleep for, like, a week to get a deadline done. All right. Well, we look forward to that, too. I'm excited. <laughs> it was good to see you guys. All right. Thanks. We're here with Laura McHugh, who, as you might remember, asked us to help her name her new novel. She was struggling. She was struggling, was, and she came to the experts. Yeah, of right, Which is not you and I, which is our listeners. Yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> right. Did they help, Laura? Yeah, I loved the listener suggestions. They had some really good ones. But it turns out, once I came up with some other titles, then all of a sudden my people were like, oh, you know what, we like that original one. Yes. We want to go back to that one. So it's going to be The Wolf Once In. So do you think that there was a small possibility that they got all these suggestions from our listeners and they said, oh my God, if it doesn't get any better than this, let's just stick with your original. <laughs> no, I actually told them, I said, I went on the podcast. I said, they, the people mostly like Wolf in the title. Oh, I think that must have done it. She's saying they're afraid of us. Yeah, they're intimidated. <laughs> As they should. Yeah. Well, congratulations on your victory and we're glad we could help you. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. All right. All right, I'm here in the bar section with Mr. Greg Heron, and drinks have just been delivered. Is the drinking lamp lit? It's only 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm from New Orleans. <laughs> Say no more. Now, Greg, this is the second time that you've been the editor of the Bachacon Anthology. Congratulations. Thank you. Do you think you have a particular uh, editorial eye for selecting these short stories? I, this is my 22nd anthology. Only my second voucher con, but this is my 22nd one, so I kind of can do it. You know the drill. Yeah, yeah, been through it. And are you a fan of short fiction? Like, is that something that you read outside of anthology editing, or are you more, you, you like the longer form novel? 
Well, I love novels. I absolutely love novels. I like short stories. I do like short stories. And actually, this year on my blog, I'm doing a what I call the short story project because I don't ever read short stories as often as I would like. So I have all these anthologies I've collected and short story collections that I've never read. So I'm reading them and writing about the stories. Oh, nice. And I love writing short stories, but I'm not particularly good at it. So I thought that would help. <laughs> Are you the kind of writer that starts a short and then it suddenly starts to grow and grow and yes, grow? Yes, yes. Oh, this could be a novel. Yeah, yeah. I do that all the time. All the time. All right. Also here on the couch, drink in hand, Mr. Chris Holm. Uh, so you came all the way down from the wilds of Maine, down the East Coast. Is, uh, is this heat and humidity just anathema to you? Uh, yeah, I'm... I'm uh genetically built for the Scottish Moors so yeah this is this has been brutal it, it actually was 87 when we left Portland Maine uh, but I believe it's it's about 400% humidity here it's like walking through like not quite set jello now you're furiously typing away on on your series uh, are you uh, the kind of writer who can write when you're out of town and on vacation in a hotel room no, I, can, I, I need like a couple of hours to kind of sit down and, and work. I get nothing done at conferences writing once. Um, I, get, I get like the business email stuff. Like I can do, I can do that stuff, but I, I can't write at a conference. Can you write at a conference? No, I'm, I'm terrible at it. I, I need the focus. Yeah, and I end up overstimulated at these things and like just need to go back to the room and calm down and, you know, not think for a while. Yeah. You know, Steve, there's so many people to talk to that we can't possibly get to them all. I think we need to enlist a little help here. Yeah, I was thinking maybe your sister, Gretchen. She did a great job last year in Toronto, and she is the biggest book nerd I know. Yeah, I mean, her interviews, quite frankly, are better than our interviews. Yeah, you're probably right. All right, well, let's go to my sister. I am here at BoucherCon talking to author Tasha Alexander. She is the author of 12 Lady Emily books and number 13, Uneasy Lies the Crown, is coming out this fall, which I'm very excited for. Thank you. Um, so many of your books take place in exotic locations, which is fun to read about. So what comes first for you, the location or the story? Generally, I would say mainly the location, but they're really so tied up together that it, it, it kind of is a crapshoot because it might be that I have an idea that needs to be in a certain place but it might be that I'm just thinking because part of the reason I wanted the book set in different places was I wanted Emily to start having broader experience of the world and you know she grew up extremely sheltered um, not interacting with anyone who had of her social class as a woman in that time in that place that's how that was um, so sometimes like for example when I had her go to Constantinople I really thought okay this is going to be such a different world for her that it made sense to me and, and that was a place that the Brits traveled to. The, the Victorian intrepid lady travelers did a, did a lot. So sometimes it's sort of the place dictating it but sometimes it's more that I'll have a nugget of a story that has to be in a certain location. Yeah. Yeah, and that's interesting. So, yeah, one of my other questions is, was it usual for people of Emily's class to be that well-traveled back then? Because I kind of picture her mother really never wanting to leave yeah. English soil. <laughs> I think that's true, but she would have because you would. The Victorians really loved to travel, and if you look, you can see all these wonderful postcards that they would send, And but um, it was certainly a class thing. If you were not wealthy, you weren't yeah. going to spend you know nine months trekking around the, the continent. They did a lot of things. I think we have such... 
cliched idea of what we think the Victorians yeah. were like, and once you start really reading about them and learning about the truth of it, it's not quite what we think. think. <laughs> not yeah. quite as straight laced. <laughs> Um, so your newest book is set around the time of the death of Queen Victoria. So how does kind of the culture change with the start of the Edwardian era, or is it kind of too early in that? To... Yeah, I mean, I think it, it changed more gradually than we would think. You also had that birdie before, you know, he was Prince of Wales forever. Right. Uh, he's probably more bored than Charles, right? <laughs> I really, honestly, I felt like Victoria would never die, right? <laughs> Probably a lot of people do. <laughs> she finally does. And so I think for me, writing the book, you've got that, you know, Emily and Colin think they're very, they're very radical Victorians, mm-hmm. but they're Victorians still. And so now you're going to start seeing radical Edwardians who take things, as you always do, the next generation is taking things a step further. But I think in terms of the country at large, it took a long time for that Victorian to fade away. Yeah. Any plans for Lady Emily to ever travel to America? I get asked that a lot. You know, I don't, I don't have any. People always say, oh, she could go to old New York, but I don't know. I just feel like she's the continental girl. <laughs> And then last question, since we're in Florida, um, sharks or alligator? What's scarier? Oh, probably sharks. sharks. Yeah, I think I could have a conversation with an alligator. <laughs> Reason with them a little. <laughs> this is Lawrence Block, and you're listening to Writer Types. My name is Jonathan Brown. I'm loving Belshacon right now. My book is The Big Crescendo, and it's coming out next year on Down and Out Books. So congratulations, Jonathan. When we Thank spoke you. last year in Toronto, you were looking for a home for that book. I was looking for a home, and I found one. It's well known on this podcast, because I talk about it too much, that I'm a drummer. Um, and since I've been here, no less than 10 people have come up to me and said, you know, there's another drummer here. Who and I'm like, I'm like, every time I'm like, you mean Jonathan? <laughs> yeah, man, we got to stick together, man. Yeah. There's a few of us. Warren Moore is a drummer. Okay. Uh, Nadine Netman's a secret drummer. I always liked them. Yeah, secret drummers are the best drummers. Uh, what's been different this year about Bashakon than last year? Just knowing, uh, meeting new people and then seeing the same old faces, which are, I don't know, man. <laughs> it's like a family, right? It, it is, it is, and I love it. I just, I'm going to just keep coming to these things. And what I love about this community, which I find more in music, is uh, they're far more helpful. Right, so this is uh, Ace Atkins, the author of The Sinners. Now, Ace Atkins is clearly a pen name cl- designed for you to be top on the first shelf. Is that right? Sure, absolutely. My, my parents had that in mind when they named me that many years ago. They said, he, you know, we want him first out of the gate. So that's how it, it's worked out well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and is Ace literally like on your birth certificate? Is it a, a nickname? You know, a- Ace is actually a nickname. Ace was my dad's nickname. And so it's a family name. My dad was Ace and then I'm Ace. But it's, it's the only name that I've ever known. Uh, you are definitely one of those writers who is, uh, let's, let's say, a writer's writer. Other authors really respect and admire what you do. And I wonder if that is a, a slightly more satisfying thing to know that other writers think that you are good at your craft. I think, I think being a writer's writer is certainly a good thing. Uh, but, if, you know, hopefully you're also a public writer as well and, you know, sell a ton of books as well. So <laughs> I like being a writer's writer, but I also, you know, you always want that ultimate goal of, of, of gaining as many readers as you can, too. <laughs> Now, you are, uh, I, I can't even uh, pull the number of books in the, off the top of my head that, that you have. How many books have you I've, I've written 23 novels, published right. 23 books. 
And is this something that you see just going an, as long as you have the stamina to do it? Do you have a goal in mind where you can finally like just sit back and relax? Well, you know, I tell people all the time, especially new writers, I've been doing this now ex- exactly for 20 years. And I tell, you know, young writers, uh, you know, unless you've written a book that's To Kill a Mockingbird or Catcher in the Rye or, you know, Huck Finn, yeah. uh, you probably are going to have to write another book. And especially if you're looking to do this uh, to make money and for your, for your livelihood, you've got to keep on writing. It's, it's my profession. And I used to be a newspaper reporter. Uh, actually worked, worked here in this area for the Tampa Tribune as a, as a crime reporter for many years. I just covered the court systems and the sheriff's office and the police department, that kind of thing. And uh, stuff's all gone. Uh, the, the type of business that I was in as far as being a print journalist does not happen anymore. So, yes, I have to write many books. <laughs> so 20-plus books in, are you still, in a way, you're still trying to get it right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think that you have to be very critical of everything you write. I mean, I, I you know, I, I do know writers that I've come across where they're so pleased with their own books they can't imagine duplicating their their <laughs> genius. So that's the challenge. I mean, I think that's a challenge of any artist, writer, musician, or whatever, is to, to continue to improve. I mean, I've been doing this for 20 years, and um, hopefully I'm getting better at it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Look, it's Lori Raider Day. How's, how's your weekend going? This is the first I've seen you. Have you been busy or uh, you just got here? 40 minutes before my panel started at 3 p.m. Shoved a cheeseburger in my mouth and went to my panel. So going well so far? Going well so far, yeah. I haven't changed clothes. I don't have a hotel room yet. It's, it's, it's a little bit chaotic in my life right now. But. Uh, but the reason you're here, yet more award nominations. Are you tired of me? You're tired of me, aren't you? I, it's more the reading public. I think you need to worry about it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I have a, I had a Barry nomination, and I have an Anthony nomination. With all your past success, are you going into this a little cocky? Oh, no, no. I've lost a lot of awards, too. <laughs> I don't know. It's a good it's a good slate this year. Yeah. So, you know, it always is. It's, you know, Embarrassment of Riches, all the great books. That come but it's not about the awards, Lori. It is not about the awards. I'm just happy to be here. I made it in time to go to the bar tonight, so that's what it's really about. <laughs> I see you still have your priorities. <laughs> Absolutely. It's about hanging out with my friends. For our next interview, it's always really great to fly 3,000 miles across the country to interview somebody that lives down the block from you. Speaking of, hey, there's Jordan Harper over there. We, we should go uh, catch up with him, see what he's up to, because it's not like we see him, you know, once a month or anything. <laughs> I just tried charming the woman at the uh, at the ballot box, you know? I was, I, like, I was filling out my ballot for the Anthonys, and I was like... Hey, you know, I, I hear that Jordan Harper's She Rides Shotgun is a really good book if nobody knows what to vote for for best first novel, you know? And she looks at my, my badge and she goes, oh, you're from L.A., that explains it. And I'm like, oh, oh, no, when did that happen? I guess I'm a douchebag. Yep. <laughs> I didn't know great, I was. Great job, Jordan Harper, because we're also from L.A. and you just gave all of us a bad name. I know, she, uh, she clearly was carrying baggage before I walked through the door. But, like, I don't, like, do what I call turn on the charm very often, and I gave it a shot, and it's like, oh, okay, I won't be doing that again. I'm just going to have to win this award through inertia because me working the politics trail is going to – I cost myself a vote. Like, she's already (laughs) voted, but, like, I I could tell she was going to tell somebody else, like, just don't vote for that guy (laughs) because he just thinks he's awesome. Ah. I can personally attest he does not turn on the charm very often. (laughs) Thank you. Winning's not everything, you know? It's the only thing. Uh, <laughs> Says the man who has an Edgar Award on his shelf at home. Oh, uh, you know, I wasn't going to bring it up. But, like, you know, because awards aren't, like, I, honestly, honestly, it's really good for sales. 
Like it's, oh. <laughs> it's like, which I don't mean like, oh, now it's like a bestseller. But if you're like a sicko who looks at his Amazon sales ranking, like an unhealthy amount, like you, the day after you win the Edgar, you go home, you go, hey. I mean, by which I mean it went up to like 20,000th bestselling book in the world. Yeah. Not like right. three or yeah. 10 or 100, but like 20,000. Wow. You know? That's in the world. The world's a big place. The world is a big place. It's true. Well, it's just like, I don't know if you guys know this, like when She Rides Shotgun came out, I went to the Barnes & Noble in Glendale and I thought it was going to be such a, like a moment. You know, you walk in and there's your book. But what happened to me was I walked in and I went, there's a million books in here. How's anybody ever, ever going to read mine? Yeah. And, and then, yeah. Did you, did you go into the shelves and face your own books out? Yeah. <laughs> I mean. Did, well, did you face our books out while you were there? <laughs> yes. Yeah. That was no. a trick question because our books aren't there. <laughs> we got them. Yeah, I'm a douchebag. I established that at the top of this. I lie. I try and glad hand people. I'm not even good at it, you know? My sister Gretchen is back with another interview that uh, she caught in the hallway. Should we uh, go to that? I'm just glad one of us is working hard because you and I have been sitting on this couch for hours. <laughs> I am here about your con with David Bell. He's the author of eight novels, including his newest, Somebody's Daughter, which just came out this summer, and I just finished reading it. It was fantastic. Um, David, many of your books, they deal with people, a lot of them children and teenagers, who disappear. Some of them come back, not all of them come back. Is that kind of a conscious choice, or is that an underlying fear that kind of bubbles up in your work? I've always been fascinated by missing persons cases. Uh, I just think missing persons cases are scarier even than murders because they're open-ended. Uh, if there's a murder and you find a body, then you, you kind of at least know what happened. But a missing persons case, you can project whatever you want onto it. Maybe the person ran away. Maybe the person's still alive. Uh, maybe they don't want to come back to me. So, so that's just always been more interesting to me. And in terms of writing sometimes about children in danger, I don't have any children, so it's very easy for me to write about horrible things happening to children. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, but uh, children are, are, are obviously the most vulnerable people, some of the most vulnerable people in our culture. And so um, I think something happening to a child tends to heighten the drama and the suspense and get many, many people involved, um, and it inevitably involves family, and I write a lot about family. So that's kind of all the, the way all that stuff goes together. Um, and so your newest book, it all takes place in the span of one night. How is that to write? Is it hard to kind of keep the suspense going through? I mean, it was, because it was kind of a long book, but it was, like, it was hard to put down because you just wanted to keep going and keep going as a reader. Well, it was a little of both. I mean, the fact that it all takes place in 12 hours means that the suspense is heightened because you know before this night is over, you're going to get answers to, to the main question, which is where is this child? At the same time, it's, it was more challenging for me because it's three points of view all happening in 12 hours and people are moving around and all these characters are in different places. So I had to make sure I knew where everybody was and it really had to make sense that if somebody was going from point A to point B, that they could do that in the amount of time that another character was going, going, doing something else. 
because in a longer book you can just say like you know well a few hours later so and so went here or meanwhile so and so was going here um, but this really kind of forced everything to count um, so if I'd thought about that before I started writing I might have said no that's too difficult <laughs> but uh, but I didn't know until I started and then I was too far in to, to go back and then last question we're here in Florida so what is scarier an alligator or a shark I think a shark is a little scarier because you can't see it. If you went wading into the water, you don't know what's below, below the surface. You. And I understand an alligator could be below the surface too, um, but you also tend to see them a little more, right? The bottom line is I would not go into any body of water <laughs> stay, stay out, stay unless it land. was a pool. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm not going no. into any body of water here. <laughs> My name is Michael Poole. I'm the author of Texas Two-Step and the upcoming Rose City. So, Michael, Texas Two-Step is uh, something of a creative way to, just, to say more than, like, tell us what that's about. But uh, tell us what that's about. Well, Texas Two-Step is about a couple of guys who uh, have been in the, the marijuana-growing game for a number of years and have been kind of pushed out of the market by legal weed in Colorado. And so in the process of getting out of that game, they are uh, going to go after one last big score by shipping their last crop to Texas. And in the process of that, they get tangled up with a lot of more um, violent and serious criminals than they're used to, and sort of uh, also some police that are kind of on their trail and things like that. And was this inspired by you moving to Colorado? Because you relocated there not too long ago, right? Yeah, well, you know, I, I grew up in East Texas, but I lived in Colorado for about 20 years off and on. and. Uh, had a lot of friends who are into various activities that we won't go into. and so some That of are now legal. It's perfectly fine. <laughs> right. Some of it's kind of based on that. Some of it's based on other things. And, um, yeah, I wanted to write a book that involved both of, the, both of the places that I had spent most of my life. So, so in your time in Texas, uh, were you ever involved in a Texas two-step? <laughs> um, as a kid, actually, yes. Uh, you know, my parents, when I was very young, kind of dressed me in boots and jeans and that kind of thing. And, of course, I grew out of that pretty quick. But... Have you ever been involved in a Texas two-step in the uh, in the crime uh, way that you use it in the title? Have you, have, what kind of shenanigans have you gotten up to is what I'm saying. You know, uh, I might not say too much just because who knows what the statutes are on that, but I, I was pretty wild in my younger day, and I, I've since settled down a little bit. But It's research. Yeah, research, exactly. I just didn't know it yet at the time. All right, Reed Farrell Coleman, uh, we just signed a whole heck of a lot of books. Does uh, signing ever get uh, tiresome for you, or do you love it? I, my arm gets tired, but I never get tired for signing books. And the day I get tired of signing books, they'll be burying me. <laughs> uh, do, do you have a signature that you practiced, something that you is easy to repeat? or? Well, you know, it's funny. Is I used to love my having three names, but when it comes to signing... Having three names which you, with a flair, yes, it's it's you know my, why didn't my mom name me Liu Child? <laughs> you ever thought about just going to initials? I have thought about it, and then I I always fear that people who buy, get the new books with the initials will say that's not his signature. <laughs> You're locked in now. Yeah, I'm, stuck. Oh. I'm stuck, man. No, the best is you have to develop a signature like Michael Connolly's, which looks like an EKG. <laughs> Easily repeatable yes, by an assistant yes. somewhere. <laughs> well, we know his heart's working. <laughs> Hi there, this is Ian Rankin. You're listening to Writer Types. Okay, I'm Wendell Thomas. My book is Lost Luggage. So you just came out of the author's speed dating. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that experience? 
Um, it was exhausting but exhilarating. I think people are in general quite kind. I think they want to find authors. But you can tell from table to table whether you have a, an audience that's going to get your jokes or not. I did have some eye rolling, so then you kind of have to regroup. But um, it's great because every time that you do one more table, you refine and you see what lands. And it, that helps you refine your pitch. So by the time you've done 23 tables in an hour and a half, then you, your pitch either works or you just want to kill yourself. I actually had somebody come up to me yesterday and say, um, I really love your podcast. I mean, some of the jokes are a little corny. And I was like, oh, so you're talking specifically about me. Because I tell the dad jokes on the podcast. Nobody told me that. So, yeah, was, that was directed at you. All you have to do is look at Eric and know that he's not telling the corny jokes. <laughs> I don't like the way this interview has turned out at all. But thanks for speaking with us, Wendell. Well, uh, dating is all about connections when you run through that many people was there a twinkle in anyone's eye did you feel a little no, something I had, I had a couple yeah. so it was a threesome kind of thing going on with us <laughs> because my because wait tell me more <laughs> so my book is very much an homage to romancing the stone and kind of those capery bringing a baby charade kind of capery screwball things yeah. and so as soon as I said that they were like nodding 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 the two of them and I knew I said you know there aren't movies like that anymore so I thought I'd make a book that was like that and they're nodding nodding and I'm like I was in with them and they laughed at all my jokes they were lovely good afternoon everybody this is Roger Johns and I am the author of Dark River Rising which came out in 2017 and my new book, River of Secrets, came out a week ago at the end of August 2018. Well, that is exciting. You're two books in. Uh, the first time that we met, you were just a wide-eyed kid. You had your first book. Everything was moving forward. How is it now like to be a wily veteran? Well, I don't know if I'm wily, but I sure feel like a veteran. Between the time that you and I met a year ago, Eric, and today, I've done 56 events across the country. I've crossed the country three times, and I've learned a lot. I've had a great deal of fun, and writing these books and touring and meeting people, and for me, that's the whole point of it, is getting around to meet readers and meet other authors. It's the most favorite job I've ever had, and I've had a lot of them to choose from. Were you ever in a band? It sounds like you have that mentality of just, just jump in the van and go. No, but I do get on the road a lot with this. Um, I was a college professor for 20 years, and that sort of uh, taught me to fall in love with the sound of my own voice. So I'm, <laughs> I'm used to stringing sentences together, and I'm used to talking on and on. So if you feel like I'm going on too long, you need to interrupt me and ask me a question because I'm having a great time doing this. <laughs> now, do you think that uh, your writing is similar to maybe like the lecturing voice, or do you, do you have a totally different tone when you're getting on the page? It's a totally different tone. Uh, for me, the, the academic life was very dry, and while I enjoyed doing it, the writing life is more me. It's uh, dangerous stories in dangerous places with people who are close to the line and people who are definitely on the law enforcement side of the line, butting heads constantly. Well, you're a dangerous man, Roger. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Eric. That's the nicest thing anyone said to me today. <laughs> Okay, I'm Karen Olson. I'm the author of the Black Hat Thriller series. My most recent book is Vanished. So speaking of Vanished, we tried to interview you before and you actually sent an email and said, I'm sorry, I'm going to Austria, which is such a strange lie to tell if you don't want to be on our podcast. So can you explain that? I had to go to the Sound of Music tour 
and I had to sing along with Christine, our very stern Austrian tour guide who carried a little goat puppet while we were singing The Lonely Goat Herd. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay, so she actually went to Austria, or that is the most incredible lie anybody has ever told to get out of this podcast. I've been telling you for months, Steve, we need to get a goat puppet on the, as a co-host. We need a third co-host that's a goat puppet. Oh, I thought you meant instead of me. I'm not going to say no. <laughs> Back to you, Karen. <laughs> I can't top the goat puppet now. <laughs> but there was a goat puppet. <laughs> so it, in traveling to Europe as a thriller writer, were you looking around everywhere thinking, oh, yeah, here we go. I'm going to set my next book in some exotic foreign locale? Well, see, that's always a plus because then you can write it off your taxes. Ah. I'd really love to see the uh, 1040 form that allows you to write off a goat puppet. <laughs> Hi, this is John Straley from Sitka, Alaska, and I'm the author of Baby's First Felony. Now, the first book of yours that I read was Cold Storage, Alaska, and I remember picking it up and like just for the fact that I wanted to be taken to a whole different world and immersed in a different culture. Is that you feel like you're kind of representing Alaska in the crime community? Oh, no, there are a lot of great writers in Alaska. There's Dana Stabenow and Sue Henry, and I represent my take on Alaska. Your very dark corner. <laughs> My dark, wet corner of Alaska. I'm from southeastern Alaska, the rainforest country. Uh-oh. Now, are your kind of stories the kind, like, it kind of could be said anywhere, you just happen to put them in Alaska, or is Alaska integral to the plot? Um, place is everything to my stories. Uh, they, they really couldn't happen anywhere else. Alaskans are very proud of, of their ability to survive in Alaska. So, yeah, it's integral. And when you come from Alaska all the way down to Florida and you take five steps outside and we're all dripping with sweat, is this a total shock? It is a shock, but it's my favorite part of the day is when the thunderstorm and the rains come. I just love that. I love the thunder and the, and the, the drenching downpour of warm rain. So it's a lot of natural drama. Yeah, it's, it's incredible drama. And we get uh, thunderstorms, but rarely. You know, we don't have that sudden dramatic change in, during the day. You get a slow, steady drip. We, we will get 30 inches of rain, of cold rain in October. And we get 130 inches of rain a year. I, I live in Southern California, and I don't know if you could see the jealousy on my face right now. <laughs> Send some of that our way. Yeah, we, it's, a, it's an interesting place. It's beautiful, but of course, you know, California has so much diversity and so much beauty there, too. I'm not selling any place short, but Alaska has a unique quality that speaks to some people, not everybody. Right. And there's, a, you know, just a particular type of character and particular nature of crime that's there. So I love writing about it. Wow, Eric, that was a lot of interviews in a short period of time. And we're not done yet. What? I, you said we were done. No, no, there's still a day and a half left of this conference, and, and there's more interviews to get, but let's not uh, torture the listeners. Let's split this up into two episodes. I think that is the fair thing to do for both you and I and for our listening audience. And so you and I need to go get some rest in the tiny room that we're sharing together, uh, and that could be a whole other episode on its own, frankly. Yeah. And about that, I... We agreed we were going to sleep clothed, Eric. <laughs> That's it. I gots to be me. Ah!
Folks, if you like the show, please take a moment to give us a review on iTunes and find us on Twitter and tell us what you thought about the episode and what books you're reading. This show is produced and edited by Eric Beatner and S.W. Loudon. For more on Steve's books, visit swloudon.com. And for more on Eric's books, go to ericbeatner.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>